Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be with you once again on the Lord's Day and to have the privilege of leading you into a conversation with Jesus as we go back to the Gospel of John today in John 17. As you know, we've been going back and forth from John 17 to the book of Acts, and we've been focusing our attention on the prayer of Jesus and the way the church responded in prayer, and we've encouraged all the members of this congregation to join in prayer over the past several weeks. And we want to give thanks and praise to God for the way he has been answering prayers, your prayers and ours, as he's worked in big ways and small ways to bring us to where we are. Uh, He has sustained our congregation up to this point through a very difficult season of life. He has provided a bit of joy to us in the midst of our sorrows, and he has been answering very specific prayers. And I'll give you an example. Uh, In the first service, uh, we received uh, a new member to this church, a little girl who professed faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized and came to the table for the very first time. And that might seem like a small thing, but we have been praying that God would bring us new converts, that God would bring us new professions of faith, and that we would be able to receive members of this church by faith and through baptism. And that's one small example of what the Lord is doing among us. And so we should give thanks and praise to God for answering our prayers as we've asked God to come down and do his work among us and to be with us. He has proven himself faithful. And so through our, what might seem to be very feeble efforts at prayer and through our very frail uh, drawing near to God, he has done mighty things and he continues to do so. And so keep up the good work of praying. Get on your knees, cry out to God and know that he hears you from heaven and that he will answer. Just as he did Jesus, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he bowed before the Father, and he prayed. And we've been walking through his prayer, and he prayed incredible things in that prayer. I want us to look at something he prayed for today, and uh, and we'll look at one specific prayer request in a minute. I'm going to kind of spin it a little bit to put a new way of thinking about it. But before we get into that, let me ask you a question. If you only had one wish... You could only make one wish right now, what would that wish be? And as the genie in Aladdin said, Ixnay on the wishing for more wishes. Well, if you had one wish to make, what would that wish be? And to tighten the screws a little bit, if you had one wish to make, and only one wish to make, and you knew that tomorrow was your last day on the earth, your last day to live, what would that wish be? It's not uncommon in our world to hear people make dying wishes. We call them dying wishes not because the wish dies, but because the person making the wish has been told or feels that they are going to die, and so they make a dying wish. It's the critical wish of all the wishes. Over the last couple of months, we've heard about a dying wish as the media and politicians out of the nation's capital have been spinning the news about a Supreme Court justice who made a dying wish which generated a lot of attention. But she's not the only one to make a dying wish. Other more ordinary people have made dying wishes. The whole 
organization known as the Make-A-Wish Foundation grew out of someone's dying wish. And as a result of that, that organization has done incredible work around the world for making dying wishes come true for people in their life to bring a little spark of joy to them. There are other stories that I came across this week regarding dying wishes, and I want to share a couple, with, a couple of them with you now, and then we will enter into John 17 and hear Jesus' dying wish. But here are a couple of things I came across. Stories about little children with terminal illnesses who wished to live long enough to meet a new baby sister or a new baby brother. Story about an elderly woman with failing health who wished to see the ocean and to take the sand in her hand and to feel the, the wind on her face and to see the surf one more time. Her caretakers were able to make that dying wish come true. Came across a story about an, an older man who felt that he was on his way out and his dying wish is that he could have one more Danish and one more cup of coffee before he goes. And my favorite story was this one. Story about a man who wished to have a full bar at his funeral service and to have his casket serve as the bar upon all the drinks were served so that his friends could have one last drink on him. <laughs> what would your dying wish be? We don't have to guess what Jesus' dying wish was because in John 17, he is praying a series of wishes, one wish after another, some involving himself, some involving us. And the one we look at today is the prayer, is the dying wish he offered for you. This is what Jesus prayed, his dying wish, the night before he was crucified for you, you were on his heart and you were on his mind. And this is what he wanted for you. He said in verse 24, his last and final wish in this prayer was this, Father, I desire that all my followers may be with me where I am in order to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Think about that dying wish. It's not a prayer just for himself. It's not a prayer to escape the darkness and the pain that's coming. It's not a prayer to get out of anything. It's a prayer to bring us into full communion with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this prayer, we see Jesus praying in a very bold way. He is asking what to our ears might seem like the impossible thing. He might be offering up his dying wish, and we say that dying wish is impossible to make come true. And yet, we will see later what the Father does with it. What this prayer does and at the end of the prayer is it takes us all the way back to the beginning of what Jesus prayed. I know it's hard to remember week after week what your pastors are preaching. And to be honest, it's even hard for us to remember all that we have said and done over the weeks. And so we have to check our notes and find out where we're going. But if you remember back when we started this series, Pastor Zach led us through the first wish that Jesus made in this prayer. And it was a wish that the Father would glorify him and that the Father would do great things through him for the sake of his people. At the end of the prayer, Jesus is asking the Father now to do the same thing for all of his followers. And so what Jesus is in essence praying at this section of the prayer, his dying wish is this, 
Father, let my followers come into your presence and see all that you have done for me and all that you've done for them and all that you're doing in the world. On what basis does Jesus make this very bold request to God the Father? He says it in the prayer. He makes it on the basis of love. And it's not just any and every kind of love. It's not a sappy kind of love or a romantic kind of love or a wishful thinking kind of love. It is the kind of love that is expressed in self-giving. It is the kind of love that is eternal, that transcends space and time. It is the kind of love that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit experienced and expressed to each other from all of eternity. This kind of love comes from outside of creation and outside of space and time and breaks into our world. It is an eternal self-giving love, a timeless and boundless love that never fades or dies. This is what Jesus was praying for us. But to drive the point in a little bit deeper, I want you to think a little bit more carefully and imaginatively about what Jesus is doing in this prayer. Here's what Jesus is doing, at least in my reading of the prayer. Jesus is asking the Father if he can bring his friends home to play and to stay. That's what he's doing. It's a very childlike request couched in mystical and theological language, but this is in essence what he's doing. In other words, Jesus wants you to come home with him, to meet his father, to hang out at their house, and to never, ever leave. He wants you to come and find joy and peace in dwelling in his place. Jesus wants you to come home with him. And his dying wish the night before he was crucified was that the Father would grant you the gift of eternal life in the house of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When I was a kid growing up in Skeetside on the other side of the lake, some of you know about it. There's a big mall over there. When I was growing up over there, most of the kids that I knew came from broken families. They came from families where there was a lot of pain and sorrow. And part of the problem that most of my friends experienced was problems with their dads. So some of my friends didn't know their dads. Some of my friends knew their dads but didn't like them. Some of my friends knew their dads and felt like their dads didn't like them. And some of my friends were afraid of their dads. And so there, were a lot of, there was a lot of brokenness there. But things were not like that in my family. And so my brother and I without thinking deeply about what we were doing, just found it natural to invite our friends over to our house. Come over to our house. Come play at our house. Come spend the night at our house. Come eat at our house. Come hang out with us. And so we found it very natural to invite our friends to come over and spend time with us. We also found it very natural to go to our dad about a million times and say something like, hey, dad, is it okay if... This friend or that friend comes and spends the night with us or goes fishing with us or goes to the lake with us or goes camping with us. We just wanted our friends to be with us, but we also wanted our friends to be around a dad like our dad. Some of our friends were very nervous about that and they would be very scared. Some of them had such bad experiences with their own fathers that they had developed a cynicism towards other fathers. And so what we'd have to do to help them feel better about coming over is explain, hey, 
No, our dad's cool. He doesn't care who comes around, who hangs out, or how long you stay. And then our friends grew more and more comfortable coming around the house. I hope you can see where I'm going with this in light of Jesus' dying wish. Jesus was doing the same thing in his prayer that my brother and I were doing on a much smaller scale with our requests. Jesus was in essence saying, Father, is it okay if my friends come over? Is it okay if my friends come over and hang out at our house? I've been telling them about you. I've been telling them how cool you are. I've been telling them how compassionate you are. And they're not so scared anymore. Is it okay if they come hang out with us? That's in essence what Jesus is doing. Now Jesus recognizes, if you look at verse 25, Jesus recognizes that not everyone in the world knows his father the way his followers did. There's a lot of ignorance in the world about God the Father. And when I say ignorance, again, let me be clear. I'm not saying stupidity. I'm just saying people don't know the truth about God the Father. And what happens is people begin to imagine things about God the Father that aren't true. And they imagine those things based on experiences they've had with their fathers or that they've seen in other fathers. And so sometimes they have a more or less accurate picture, but sometimes they have a very inaccurate picture. And what Jesus has been doing in his life and ministry is showing the truth and grace about who God the Father is. And so what Jesus does is he comes and tells us the truth about the Father to clean up any mess we might have. Think about your experience. Think about your life and the way maybe you or others you know have thought about the Father. Many people in my experience have, experienced or have imagined God the Father in this way. They think of him as some sort of a grumpy and stern old man who is like yelling at people, get off my lawn, and if you come back, I'm going to take care of you, right? Many people have that view of God the Father, that he's angry and bitter, that he's critical, that he's disappointed in everyone, and that he's always looking for a way to get at somebody. If that's your view of God the Father, you don't have an accurate picture of who he is and how he has revealed himself. Jesus shows us and tells us that the Father is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He shows us that his Father does not always accuse, nor will he harbor anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. In other words, God the Father is very different than the way most people imagine him to be. He is far more kind, far more gracious, far more welcoming than most people imagine him to be. Many people I've known inside and outside the church tend to think of God the Father as being reluctant to forgive, being resistant, and they imagine that somehow Jesus has to convince him that it's going to be okay to forgive them because of what I've done for them, as if it were only Jesus' idea and not the Father's idea. But what Jesus is showing us through the course of his ministry and even in this prayer is that his father is the most loving father in the world and outside the world. That he is the most loving father in space-time history and from all eternity. How do we know this? We know this is true about the father because of the way the father sent Jesus into the world. 
The scriptures tell us in so many words that the Father demonstrated his eternal love in blood, sweat, and tears. When? When he sent his son Jesus on mission into the world to lay down his own life for the sake of people the Father loved, to save people like you and me from our sin and death and from many other kinds of problems and troubles. The Father initiated this in love for you. And that's a picture of the Father we don't always think about. And so the Father loves the world. He loves you. He loves the church. Not in a get-off-my-lawn kind of way, but more in a, hey, get in here. Where have you been? I've been looking for you. I've been waiting for you to come. And I hope you never leave. It's that kind of love that Jesus demonstrates that the Father has for us. We know that the Father loves the world because of two things. He's got kin in the game, and he's got skin in the game. He's got kin in the game because his son came into the world and laid down his life for us. And skin in the game because God became flesh and dwelled among us. So these aren't empty words. He doesn't simply say, I love you with words. He demonstrates his love through his actions in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might be conditioned by your own personal experiences with your father or with other fathers to consider all of this with cynical ears and cynical eyes. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, right. I wish that were true, but it's not. That's my dying wish is that the father would actually love me the way Jesus and you are describing right now. And if you have that kind of cynicism, that kind of suspicion of God's love, let me assure you that Hey, I've been there and done that. I know it's hard to imagine that God loves you the way the scriptures describe it. But I want to point some things out to you that even if you imagine that God the Father is gazing at you with angry and critical and disappointed eyes, maybe you think he's even disgusted with you. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us that the truth and reality of the situation is that everyone who follows Jesus is looked upon by God the Father with love and mercy and joy. The Father is delighted to see you following Jesus up the road into his house. He's delighted to look around the room and see his children sitting at his table. He's delighted to look around the room and see you gathered here in the name of Jesus. He is delighted to see you. He's not disappointed that you came. He's not disgusted by your life. He is delighted in you. And so Jesus' dying wish really comes down to this, doesn't it? Jesus' dying wish comes down to that he wants the same glorious love with which the Father loved him, the same eternal, undying, unwavering, unfading love with which the Father loved him, to be the love that the Father puts in you, in your heart, and in your life. He wants you to know and believe that as the Father loved him, so the Father loves you. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he loves Jesus. 
He loves you because God is love. And when God loves you in this way, it begins to change things for you. Now, that's knowledge, but once you start to feel the impact of that knowledge in your life, it begins to change your heart, doesn't it? So what is Jesus wishing for you? Jesus is wishing that you would experience the full weight of God's glorious love in face-to-face communion with him. Jesus' dying wish is that you would see his glory, not merely perceive it with your eyes, but experience it with all of your life, with the totality of your being, with your heart, mind, soul, and body, that you would experience his glorious love in that way. What does it mean to see the glory of God in this way? Well, as you know, Christian ministers and theologians from all kinds of traditions wrestle with this and think about these things. And I don't need to tell you or remind you that, uh, that Protestant theologians and Catholic theologians don't always see eye to eye on everything. But when they do see eye to eye and there is agreement, that is a moment to celebrate, is it not? And so here's a moment that we can all agree upon. Here's a truth upon which we can all agree and shout amen with our deep throat and full of heart, our heart full of faith. All traditions agree that what Jesus is asking here is that his friends and his family will experience the glory of God in all of its totality. That's a massive statement. But what Jesus is wanting us to see and asking the Father to reveal is his glory. And it's so difficult. Let me just say it this way. It is impossible to put into words exactly what Jesus is asking for. He wants us to see the glory of his humiliation and the glory of his exaltation. He wants us to see the glory of his incarnation to become a man and then the glory of his ascension to the right hand of God. He wants us to see the glory of his suffering and the crucifixion and the glory of his victory and the resurrection. He wants us to see the full range of his glory revealed in his person and work. And in the here and now, we can only gather glimpses and bits and pieces of this, see sparks and flashes of it. But his long-term goal for you, his long-term hope for you, is that you will experience the glory of God in all of its totality. Let me put it in a more simple way. Jesus' dying wish is that you would reach the full potential of God's purpose for your life. And this isn't about you trying to figure out your career and who you should marry and where you should live and whether you should sell or buy a house. None of that. Though the purpose of your life that he has in mind here is the knowledge of God, the experience of God, the face-to-face encounter with God. This is the end purpose for which you were created, is communion with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is praying that you will experience the true knowledge of God without filter, without barrier, without veils, without screens. Jesus is praying that you will enjoy face-to-face communion with God without shame. Without shame. Without shame, can you imagine what that would be like? To stand before God, just as you are, without embarrassment, without shame, without feeling the need to hide anything. He's praying that you'll feel the full weight of God's love and acceptance towards you. To know that you belong, that you're welcome, 
that you have found a place in the Father's house. He's praying that you'll enter into a state of perfect joy and perpetual bliss. So Jesus' dying wish is that sooner or later you will experience happiness. How? By seeing the glory and grace of God unveiled in Jesus. All of that to say this, if I may be so bold. Jesus' dying wish is for you to be happy. Jesus' dying wish is for you to be truly happy, eternally happy. Happy, happy, happy. In communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And summarizing hundreds of years of Christian reflection on this, this is the essence of what is called the beatific vision. Total happiness in the presence of God, feeling the full weight of his love for you in Christ. This is the purpose of your life. This is the end goal for which you were made. This is Jesus' wish for you. Now I wonder... What do you wish for yourself? What are you looking for? You had one wish, what would it be? You had one dying wish, what would it be? Do you wish for yourself what Jesus wishes for you? Do you want for yourself what Jesus wants for you? And if so, let me say that that's half the journey. That is the first turn towards repentance where you've changed your mind and desires about what you think is good for you and you're conforming them to what Jesus says is good and right for you. He wants you to enjoy communion with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is my hope and prayer that the Spirit moves your heart to desire the same thing that Jesus desires for you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us pray.